0: Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here. Hey, whether you're a brand new speaker, you're just getting started, you're trying to just find your way in this crazy sometimes confusing and complicated speaking world or for you maybe you've been doing this for a little while and you're trying to figure out how to get paid more or just find more speaking engagements you have come to the right place really glad that you're here uh, we got a great guest for you before we get into that if you haven't already i would encourage you to check out a new free guide we put together on 7 proven steps to finding and booking paid speaking engagements 7 proven steps to finding and booking paid speaking engagements so if you want to download that free guide you can stop by the speakerlab.com/guide Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash guide and check that out. All right, so today we're talking with my buddy Brian Fanzo. He has a cool last name, Fanzo, F A N Z O, just like it looks, Fanzo. And so uh, we talk about a wide range of topics here today. We talk through how he got started in speaking by actually presenting at the Pentagon, all right, like in front of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is a cr- crazy, huge deal. So you'll hear about that story. We talk about how he strategically uses social media to determine event decision makers and how to connect with them. We also talk through uh, how he kind of reverse engineers how to get to speaking engagements. We talk through how how he uses Facebook Live to book speaking engagements, and then also what social media platform that you should be on. There's all these different options out there. So I ask him point blank, hey, Brian, where do we need to be as speakers? What social media platform or platforms should we be on? So he uh, he gives us some uh, some great insights and feedback on that. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Brian Fanzo. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today we're joined by my buddy Brian Fanzo, who is a, uh, a speaker who's going to be uh, teaching us a little bit about uh, Facebook Live and using live video, how he's been using that to get gigs, how he's using that to enhance gigs, and provide an all around cool experience that I, I haven't seen many speakers do. So uh, excited to uh, dig in and talk about this. So, Brian, what's up, brother? How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm I'm excited to talk uh, a little bit of everything and anything. It kind of falls into my wheelhouse of embracing it all. So let, let's do this.
0: It seems like a lot of speakers are like that. Like we we, we talk about everything and nothing all at the, at the same time somehow and somehow uh, <laughs> we get people to pay us for it. First of all, let's take kind of the nutshell and the high level view here of uh, what do you do with speaking? How long you've been speaking? What do you speak about? Who do you speak to? And, and how does it kind of fit into everything else you got going on?
1: So, yeah, you know, for me, you know, like you said, like kind of having that random background, I, I always introduce myself as a, a change evangelist and it sounds kind of fluffy, but I I have a very random background. I, I was a computer science major. I worked for the Department of Defense for nine years deploying cybersecurity and social business collaboration tools. Huh. I left that space, went to a, a data center. Cloud computing startup, uh, where I became kind of the face and the evangelist of that brand, and then about three years ago, I, I jumped into more of the entrepreneur space. And for me, it's it's funny because my speaking career actually started really early on. And and for the listeners that don't know, you know, my tagline that I got kind of labeled on early on in my career was, you know, I talk fast and I tweet faster. So I always like the caveat that I do talk fast and I I will try my best not to talk too fast, but. Right outside of, after graduating college, I was in cybersecurity, and, and I got kind of blessed to be one of the few millennials or younger people kind of taking on a management role in cybersecurity. And I like to say I was the only non-gray-haired person that was in the uh, department, and I had a manager come to me and say, Brian, you know, you're you really good at, at kind of relating with the developers on your team, as well as the executives, the you know, the ranking officials in the different military branches. And so they asked me to be the presenter and and speak to the, the joint chiefs of staff every quarter for four years. So that was about 2005. And they Holy sent crap, me to a crazy. certified public speaking and communication course for five days. You had to get pass that before you're allowed to be on stage at the Pentagon. And so for me, that was really the start of my speaking. I, I mean, I was. <laughs> that's hardcore was, stuff, man. Yeah. And I tell you what, you know, you have like a four-star general in the front row. They've never had somebody that was, you know, my age, let alone one of my my big pieces was I talked a lot about, you know, the changing in landscape with cyber and all this technology. And and I had, you know, one of the things for me, I was like, well, I don't wear a shirt and tie. Like I wear a nice shirt. You know, I worked for the government. So I knew how to, to dress up when I needed to, but also I wanted to stay true to myself. And one of the labels that people had always referred to me as I was the first person to ever present at the Pentagon without a tie on. And so I was not only the youngest, but I was the one that said, you know, I, I can't talk about change. I can't talk about the new type of you know military employee, the new type of active duty soldier and talk about change if I'm just going to fall in line with everyone that's been there before. And so, yeah, that was my really my entry into speaking. And, and I absolutely I've always my mom says, like, you know, I came out of the womb talking. So talking for me was never you know, a big deal. And then I, you know, to kind of fast forward over my career, you know, I built a career that was really modeled after Guy Kawasaki and Robert Scoble. And I wanted to be an evangelist. I wanted to be the face of the company. And I became that for a big enterprise brand called BAE Systems. And then for a startup known as I.O. Data Centers. And the interesting piece was I couldn't really put a hold on why people wanted my skill set because I hired really smart developers. And I worked really well with the C-level and the executives, but I kind of felt like a, in no man's land in, in the middle there. And it took for a while, but about four years ago, I, I would say my specialty is I translate the geek speak, which really means I can relate with a developer and, and understand what they're doing. But I also work well with you know executives and and kind of bringing that that down a level and allowing them to understand technology for business value. And as I became face of these different brands and different companies, I realized it was the technology wasn't my passion. My passion was actually helping people embrace change. And by doing that, being that translator. So that's what I talk about now. I talk a lot about a wide range of topics from personal branding to buy video tools. I also talk about how to relate with this digital native millennial generation. And then, of course, sometimes they they bring me in to talk about, you know, some of the cybersecurity background. I'm going to be speaking at a couple different events in 2017, almost reversing back to my old days and helping, you know, the U.S. government, the healthcare industries kind of put themselves forward so they're Embracing the customer of tomorrow. So, yeah, I, I definitely have a background that most people that would consider themselves a marketer or a social media person haven't had, you know, trips to Iraq, Afghanistan presented at the Pentagon. But uh, I think it, it makes me unique, which, you know, we all as speakers love to know how we're, we're unique from everyone else.
0: For sure, for sure. You said a couple things there I want to I dig into. So, it sounds like for a little while, in addition to the government, that you were just kind of like you were saying, speaking as kind of a, an ambassador for an organization or a group or, or the government. At what point did you decide to make the shift to? I don't want to just speak as an ambassador or representative for another organization or group. I want to do this on my own. I want to begin creating my own platform. How did you make that transition?
1: So it was actually really weird in the sense that, and, you know, we talk a lot about lists and rewards. And if you're in this space, you know, you get the top 20, you know, Forbes speakers, and it's really just some Forbes art, you know, Forbes author that just picked 20 of their friends. And, and there's always things that are thrown around there. But for me, I was awarded the uh, top 25 social business leaders of the future in 2014 by The Economist. Wow. And my CEO came in. I was working at the data center company. And and he's like, Brian, apparently other people think you're an influencer. (laughs) And he's like, and they love what you're doing. So they're going to give you this award. You're going to travel around with Scott Monty and these other 25 business leaders. We're going to send you to a TED Talk so that you can sit in the audience and and I remember the light bulb kind of going off at that moment. And because up until that time, I didn't realize how lucky I was to have access to the stages that I had because it was a brand that booked me. I had a CEO that was very, he loved the stage, but sometimes would just say, well, this audience isn't for me. Brian, you take my spot. And I keynoted at, at VMworld, you know, in front of a, you know, an audience of almost 12,000 people I was at AWS, Amazon's big event Mm -hmm. in front of 8,000 people. But then all of a sudden when I I got that award and I started looking at my personal brand, when I became an entrepreneur, I couldn't get on a side stage of a side stage, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was that weird shift of I realized because of that award that I was getting recognized for my own individual work, but I did not understand how different the jump was from Kind of brand sponsorship and appointment of speaking gigs versus really you know hustling and providing your value as a speaker. And so it was a weird shift. Twenty fourteen was you know going from these large stages to small local venues, telling me you know maybe in a year you could get on there. And uh, that, it was an interesting shift and change for me. But that that list being put on that given that award was probably the biggest monumental shift in my career, as well as my focus.
0: One of the other things you said before was that you tried to model your career after a Guy Kawasaki or a Robert Scoble. How were you doing that and how helpful or beneficial was it to find examples of the type of business that you wanted to build that were a couple years ahead of you?
1: So it's interesting because for me, I've always believed in that you have to know what you don't know to surround yourself with people who know those things that you don't, right? That's probably one of my biggest strong suits is trying to surround myself with people that have the skill sets or the, the knowledge or the insights that I don't have. And I really wanted to be able to focus on community and evangelizing. And, and Guy and Robert did it so well. But the hard part was in this day and age, You know, I didn't want to report to the CMO because that was a marketing-driven role. I didn't want to report to the CIO because it was a tech role. And, and I reported at different times to each different group. But having, that per, having those people that had been there and done it, but also kind of studying not only what they did, but why and how they implemented that. And I almost, you know, I would like to segue that probably, I had those two that were the evangelists. And then at the same time, I had Gary Vaynerchuk and Jay Bear, And I actually read Jay Bear's book, uh, Utility, the same month that I read Gary Vaynerchuk's Jab, 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 Right Hook. Mm -hmm. And that along with that evangelist kind of mission, I think really that one month, I kind of got this understanding of why they did what they did, how they became successful, leveraging all of these different things. But it also opened my eyes to what I did different and how I could be not only unique, but I could kind of set my own path. But I, I don't believe that I would have been able to do that if I, if I hadn't has, had those people to look at. And also even, you know, been very blessed that, you know, Robert and Guy and Gary and Jay in the last three years have had set aside personal time one-on-one with me in multiple different arenas. So not only having those people to look up to, but leveraging my access and my personal brand, I got opportunities to sit down face to face with these, with all four of them, and really help shape where I'm going right now, and and, and hopefully, you know, where I will be going in the next couple of years.
0: And the reason I ask is, I think it's really valuable to uh, for speakers at all levels of just to to find other examples and kind of role models of people who are doing something similar to what you want to do in terms of the industry of of who they speak to, maybe what they speak about, or just kind of the, the business model that they have. So just finding some examples. So you have some type of blueprint to follow. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to do it exactly like they did it, or you need to be a, a copycat version of what they created, but just having some blueprints that you can look at and say, okay, that's possible. Now, how do I get from point A to point B? So it sounds like that those guys were, were pretty instrumental on in that from afar. And then also it sounds like more recently, just in terms of building relationships with them.
1: For sure. And I think on top of that, I think, and this is something that I think with, you know, the younger generation and I include myself in that you know millennial I'm a I, I say I'm a, I'm a pager wearing millennial so I'm 35 I'm I'm barely a millennial from the age side but I think so many people forget that there's a difference between having a role model and understanding who they are or being just the next version. And and anytime someone, you know, I was getting these accolades, they were, Brian, you're the next Gary Vaynerchuk. And I was like, well, I don't want to be a Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm going to be the best Brian Fanzo, and I'm going to learn how Gary did it. I'm going to understand what he did. I'm going to disagree with what he did. But I couldn't agree more with you. Not only having those people, but also figuring out how you can study them that relates back to who you are, because one of the, my pet peeves, are, you know, I'm getting hired to build strategies for, for different leaders and entrepreneurs and brands, and they'll say, Brian, I'm doing exactly what A, B, and C are doing, but I can't stand out from the noise. And it's so funny because I'm like, you just become the exhaust of someone else if you're only doing exactly what they do. But if you study and have that person to look up to, and then you're able to create your own path using their lessons learned, technically we're all getting better from that. So I'm glad you asked that. And I I just want to kind of caveat that because it's a big piece for me that, you know, when I get off stage, the number one thing that I love to hear is they say, Brian, you're the same person that you are online as you are offline, as you are on stage, you're off stage. And for me, that's Brian Fanzo. There's only one. And I believe that if we can set our own path while studying others, that's truly how we stand out.
0: All right, let's dig into that online piece cuz that's obviously where you've you've really put a, a stake in the ground and and have really established yourself and kind of differentiated yourself as a speaker. So, what have you been doing with online video and and how is how are you using online video in your in your speaking business today?
1: So, you know, I have a philosophy it's called think like a fan. And my last name being Fanzo, it kind of fit perfectly in there. But, you know, the think like a fan philosophy really came down, you know, some people would say, you know, I had that overnight success type buzz in 2014, leading into 2015. And for me, what I started to realize was, you know, what was I doing to kind of get on people's radars? What did I wish that I had with those people that I could give to my community? And the word for me, and it's my focus, is called access. Just the word access. And I use every social channel Differently, but I use each one to give access to my community, even my competition, if you would say that. But it's giving people access into who I am, what I do. It was November of 2013 into the start of 2014. I made a strategic goal that said, I'm going to tell my story, I'm going to share my background everywhere and anywhere I can, but not just going to tell people what I do. I'm going to bring people along on that journey. I'm going to tell them how I did it. I'm going to tell them why I did it. And I'm going to give them that recipe to success because, you know, I I truly do believe so much of my success is, you know, I have a community that is not just on Twitter or not just on live video, but I have a, I have a digital community around the world that supports me and so what i started doing was you know i started really giving people access into my thought process i've done live videos where there was breaking news about the twitter teaming up with the nfl to do this new live streaming contract and the news came out an hour after the news came out i turned on my live video for 45 minutes and i built out a strategy on the whiteboard as if twitter or the NHL had hired me, and I walked everybody through my thought process, how I build strategies out. And I was really giving them access to my, you know, I would say my true intellectual property on how I build out strategies. And for many, I had people telling me, Brian, what are you doing? You're going to hurt your business. You're going to give away your secrets as a speaker and how you relate with the audience. But for me, it allowed people to understand not only my knowledge set, but it allowed them to kind of get a peek into my Thought process. And so I use live video behind the scenes. I use Snapchat to share very raw moments. I pretty much am as transparent as I could possibly be as a speaker and as a entrepreneur that, you know, I share oftentimes the bad as much as the good. And I think that didn't really hit me until this year. And it all comes into this, think like a fan philosophy where it's, if you give people access into who you are and why you do what you do, they'll become your advocates, your support system, your biggest cheerleaders. And for me, it was, I wish that I had that access in some of those leaders early on. And it was my turn to come back to the people that were that are following me and said, I'm gonna give you access into everything and anything I can. And it's been amazing how, you know, I'm a guy that wears a hat and some, you know, Chuck Taylors that are bright colored on stage. And I walk people through my the reason for me doing that and one of the people that hired me to speak said, Brian, you know, I just thought you were you know, trying to be trendy and hip. And I understand who you are now. And they're like, is it okay that I'm a right in your contract that you have to wear a hat on stage? <laughs> and for me, I was trying to force people into this habit. But when I let people in to see who I am, they started coming to me and really helping me share my story. And, and it's been, uh, I'm truly a result of having an amazing community. And I believe I have that amazing community because I, I give them access into so much of my life and what I'm doing as a business.
0: It reminds me of a buddy of mine. He like his one of his core business philosophies is to teach everything you know. Meaning that I'm going to be like in my workshop working on this and creating this thing, but also instead of just like bringing it into the world, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to show everyone exactly how I I did it. And it's kind of like famous chefs. That it's one thing to serve this this you know amazing dish. It's another thing to say here's the exact recipe on how I did it, so that you can go home and you know do your best to, to duplicate it or replicate it. So so it sounds like that's a bit of what you're doing as well. It's just kind of showing a peek behind the magic curtain to say this is, you know, this is what we're working on. This is how we're creating it. And again, like you're saying, sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. So it sounds like that that's been a lot of your content and social and just marketing strategy, just in general.
1: It it was. And I would think it was actually a light bulb going off because, and it was my dad, my dad's not into social media or digital. He's a, he owned a, a candy company that he grew extremely successful. And my dad, my dad kind of hit me one of these things, you know, a while back. And he just said, you know, son, the reason that you're successful in life and in business, and the reason you're, you've been doing all of these things is that you've always been okay with being yourself. You've always been okay with sometimes standing out for a good reasons or bad reasons, but kind of owning who you were. And he's like, are you doing that online? And I realized social media, video, marketing, it's super easy when you can be yourself. But when you have to present something that is not you, or you have to fluff something up, or you have to put a magic curtain, or you know, you have to convey something that really isn't who you are, it's a lot of work. And I can honestly say, for me, once that light bulb went off, I was willing to lose gigs, lose opportunities as a speaker if people didn't accept the fact that I had tattoos or I wore my hat backwards or I shared all of these things. Because for me, it was that idea that if all of these things, if I lose ones, those are ones probably that I wasn't going to be successful with before. And if I gain other ones that, that people can know who I am, that's really where I wanted it to go. And I think it also comes down to Warren Buffett quote, you know, where Warren Buffett said you know, he had no problem leaving his playbook for every investment he's ever made on the airplane seat when he gets off an airplane one day, because he believes that he is the reason that that playbook comes to life. And I I like to think, you know, that we kind of realize our own true value and who we are as a speaker. We're able to do that. And I won't say that it's not scary. And it's, you know, a couple times I've regretted it for a little while where I'm like, oh man, I just told everybody how that why these two different events hired me. And all of a sudden I've saw 30 other speakers do the exact thing to these other events, but I don't look at anyone else as a competition because I know that there's only one of myself and I'm okay with that. If, if we can all share and learn together, I believe it kind of, it rises us all together as well. And, and as long as we can be ourselves, it, it allows us to stand out.
0: So let's talk about that playbook for a second. So you're someone that's obviously you've done a lot with social media. So if, if someone's listening to this going, okay, I know for me, I need to start giving people more access, but I don't have much of a following. I don't have, you know, I'm just getting started. I'm trying to figure this whole social media game out. There's a lot of different potential channels here. Just kind of give us your high level view on, should I be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Should I YouTube, Periscope? What should I be doing? Where should I be focusing my energy and effort, especially if I'm getting started?
1: So I think for speakers, we have, we have the biggest advantage. If if you're not, you know, haven't dove in all the way to digital or social yet, the hardest part for me, and and I've worked with, you know, very painful technology brands. I mean, I was trying to help the army collaborate with the Marine Corps and the Air Force and the Navy. And (laughs) I had all of these very difficult, you know, groups that I was trying to move in the digital. And their one problem was they didn't understand their own individual story and they didn't understand how to convey that story. And as speakers, we don't have that problem. We understand how to convey a story and, and build you know, an audience and bring people along on the journey. And so when I talk to people as a speaker, where should you start? My question comes back to you have to start where you're most comfortable. Because the more barriers to entry, the more you have to step out of your norm, the harder it's going to be for you to be consistent. Because there is no easy button. Relationships online take a long time. So, you know, if you're not great on video, don't start with video. If you're not great with, you know, I don't want to, you know, send tweets or, you know, write in 140 characters. I like it as, you know, if you're great at talking, but you're not, great on video because it's produced and all of these things. Maybe it's starting a podcast, you know, or maybe you're really good on video, but you don't like produced video. You don't want to worry about, you know, search term optimization or these things. Maybe it's live video on a Periscope or Facebook Live. But I think what you first have to do is you have to figure out what would be my preferred way of delivering my story. But I I will caveat that that with this one stat. And the stat is 79% of internet traffic by 2020 will be video. So this is a Cisco index score. Cisco index 79% of all internet traffic will be video. So, you know, for the listeners, I believe video is where it's at. I think it's it doesn't have to be produced video, it can be, you know, very ad hoc. It could be you talking into the camera. And for a lot of people, even for speakers, you know, I'm an extrovert and it's amazing for me how many speakers especially, you know, in the groups that, you know, Grant you and I are part of uh, the extroverts are actually the rare part right yep, there's so many exactly. introverts that are massively successful speakers and for me i often tell those that are even if you're an introvert and video scares you the video doesn't have to be on you right there's a camera on the back of your phone as well as the front so maybe it's documenting the people on your team or you know, maybe using video to do, you know, the testimonial interviews and and you're asking other people how they felt about you, because I think video is scary for all of us. And it was scary for me when I kind of dove in and it takes a lot of time, but it doesn't always mean you have to be the star of the video for that video to be valuable for your brand. So I don't like to give one network as being the preferred place, but start with where is the easiest for you to get comfortable. And then secondly figure out where video would fit into that kind of that network or that platform.
0: So there's definitely this huge tidal wave of video and the importance of, of using video in one way or another, especially for speakers who a lot of times for organizations and groups long before they're willing to hire you, they need to see you speak. And so the more that you can show that beyond just a single you know, YouTube clip, the better. So you do a lot with Facebook Live today. What are your thoughts just in general on live video, the importance of it? Why Facebook Live as compared to any of the other channels or platforms?
1: Sure. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, with email marketing and really it's, you know, with even if you're hiring a a speaker agency, it's all about, you know, how do I get my story in front of the right audience in a delivery method that they actually want to consume? And I actually look at Periscope, which is the the live video platform owned by Twitter. And then there's Facebook Live. And those are the the two live mobile video platforms that are, are probably the biggest names out there right now. And I actually treat them, very much like email marketing. And, and stay with me for a second, and I'll, and I'll bring this around. But you want to tell your story and reach an audience that doesn't know who you are yet. They've never heard you. They Maybe they're just Googling a term, or they're, they're searching on Twitter, or they're searching for a speaker with a certain bio or maybe a topic around a certain thing. You want to reach this audience that doesn't know who you are. But you also want to Nurture your existing audience or nurture your existing email group so that these people continue to open every email newsletter and continue to support you. and so I actually use both Facebook Live and Periscope. I use Periscope as my platform to reach an audience that doesn't know me yet because on Twitter you don't have to be following me you don't even have to like me. Maybe you're just searching it for the you know millennial technology speaker and maybe I'm giving you know a live video background on, hey, guys, this is me. You're preparing my new presentation. And someone just searches those terms and can tune into that live video. They can watch, understand who I am. They can even ask me questions. That's where I use Periscope. And then Facebook Live, I use it for not only my shows and preparing kind of a, a more polished show type piece, but it's, it's nurturing that existing audience. And, you know, I, I love my Facebook community, but sometimes it's reminding them, hey, did you know this is what I'm doing? Or, hey, let me help you guys you know, embrace Twitter like I do. And ultimately, it sounds odd, but I get hired for a lot of my speaking opportunities that it's people who say, hey, I, you helped me understand Twitter. I want you to speak on motivating millennials. And people might be like, wait a second, how does that work? But it's because they've understood that I can break things down. I can relate with my audience. I'm willing to say I don't know. I'm I'm in that, I would say, the, the blocking and tackling. But at the same time, I'm not afraid to, think bigger when I'm on stage. And I, I think maybe that's one of the things that I would recommend if you're looking at Facebook live or Periscope and, and, you know, and, I, and I've helped a lot of speakers today where I say, you know, give people access into some of your routines or your thought process that yes, for you, it sounds kind of silly and, and mundane, But for so many people, you know, understanding, you know, how you book your flights or maybe it's understanding why you build your PowerPoints and what's your favorite font and why do you put this font on slides or why did you choose, you know, this as your intro music and giving people that access, it might sound silly and it might sound like why would someone care? But it's because you're able to leverage and and kind of break down that barrier between you on stage and you as the human that people want to rally behind. And I really use live video as this opportunity for my community to not only participate and ask me questions, but also see all of the different aspects that make up who I am as a speaker on stage.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that in terms of the whether we realize it or not, I think we live in kind of this voyeuristic society where not in a a creepy stalker way, but people just want to know, like, why are you doing that? Like, I'm, I know that we both have, you know, speaker friends or people that we admire, just entrepreneurs in general that we were like, I want to just follow you for the day, you know, not again in a creepy way, but I want to know, like, why do you do that? Why did you go that way? Why did you, why do you do it this way instead of that way? And just knowing the thought process behind it. So being able to show that and again, kind of pull back the curtain seems like that's been really valuable for you. So I'm curious, since you've been able to use Facebook live to pick up a few speakers. engagements. You know, it's one thing to just like, okay, I'm going to just flip on the camera and do this, this Facebook live teaching or training or whatever it may be. But how do you make sure that the people that at least some of the people that are watching are potential decision makers and clients? Cause you you don't necessarily know who's on the other end and who's watching. So how do you make sure that you could have plenty of people that are watching you, but have zero ability to ever hire a speaker. So how has that kind of panned out for you?
1: So, you know, I would say that's probably my secret weapon and the secret weapon and not so secret, but the idea that I use social listening and strategic listening on digital as a whole to understand my target audience. And oftentimes it's not the person that would book me, but it's the person that influences who that person should book. And it's amazing. Snapchat has given me four or five speaking gigs this year. And I don't have an audience, you know, the person that's actually writing me to check the check to speak, but I have the people that are, that have the ear, like they're influencing the influencer or influencing the decision maker. And the way that I, I kind of, I leverage social to, the, to then dictate what I talk about is that I will tell you, you know, I, I'm doing a list right now and I strategically picked out probably 30 events last year for 2016. And I said, I'm going to follow I'm going to follow that event hashtag on Twitter. I'm going to follow that brand on social media. And then I'm going to follow what the speakers are that are speaking at that event this year. What are they sharing? What kind of content? Who are these event listeners? Who are they actually you know, listening to? What is the stuff they care about? And then what I end up doing is I, I start to kind of take that back into my world and say, okay, if that's their pain points, if that's who they enjoyed how can I integrate that into my story and deliver that without going to them and saying, hey, 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 you know, I can talk about that too. It's more about, hey, how do I educate my audience that I also have that background or that I can focus on that? So I use a lot of things like, you know, it's funny, a couple of the events that I really wanted to speak at, I started to figure out, okay, well, the CEO of that, of that brand or the, the event manager, they love to share lots of content about a Wall Street Journal links and Forbes articles. So what I started doing was understanding, okay, what kind of Forbes articles are they sharing? Okay, they're sharing ones about millennial entrepreneurs that are failing. You know, and I I created a blog post that said 10 things I learned about myself or 10 things as an entrepreneur I learned that I suck at. And it was my failures as an entrepreneur. And I put that as a blog post. I did it as a Periscope. I created a Facebook Live video about it. And for me, it's less about going and pulling those people to me. I think that's the old way of doing it. It's more about how do you educate your audience where they prefer to be educated at. And my key to that is I do different types of content on each platform that I think they would be listening on, but I am very strategic in understanding their pain points because let's face it, you know, people will, will tune in if you're helping them, if you're, help, if you're helping them solve a problem, if you're making them better, you're providing value or you're entertaining them. And the easy part for me is there's so much data, so much out there in today's digital space that if you really want to speak in an event, you really want to get on this person's radar, you can do a couple of things, oftentimes using Google alerts and search and some of these basic things that are out there, understand what they care about and then just start creating that and getting on their radar that way. Because for me, that that long-term play not only has them coming to me and and oftentimes, you know, one of the first things that these brands will say, will say, Brian, I've heard about you for a long time and I just feel that I need you at my event. And it's not me pitching them. It's not them saying, well, Brian, someone told me about you. Give me your elevator pitch. It's saying, they need me, let's make it fit. And I can tell you that negotiation, that that collaboration is probably the most fun you could have as a speaker. And I think it's because I make that long-term play of getting on their radar by understanding what their pain points are and what their needs are.
0: I mean, it sounds like the overall strategy for you is, is using social and Paying attention and it's not, the paying attention, I think, is really, really critically important instead of just kind of the the like you alluded to, the, the old fashioned model of just spraying and praying and just putting a bunch of stuff out there and hope magically that the the right people see it and it all it all somehow magically falls into place. But being really, really strategic and figuring out who are these decision makers, what are they interested in, what are they looking for, what are the needs they have, what are the problems they have, how do I provide a solution to that? And then just putting whether it's putting content out there or putting social social media out there or or you know, Facebook live videos out there but doing stuff on a regular basis that just keeps you top of mind, which I think is incredibly important as a speaker because, you know, for an organization that may be looking to hire a speaker, they may do that once a year. So 11 months out of the year, they don't care about you. But for that one month, they may be like, I keep hearing about this dang Brian guy. And I realize we, we have to have this guy in because it's those other 11 months. And because even maybe prior to that, you've been super strategic about what to put out to make sure that it's, it's getting on their radar.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, consistency is probably the most underrated element of all of this space because, like you said, you don't know when they're looking or oftentimes it's hard to even understand where they're looking. You know, one of my my things now is, you know, reverse engineering how someone found me because I don't have a great YouTube channel, but my YouTube channel brings in a lot of speaking gigs because people somehow get funneled to that YouTube channel or, you know, I get people that have watched a a speaking, a, a presentation that I posted on Facebook Live months ago, but through a friend or a tag or someone saving it, or maybe it was reposted on a blog. And I I think consistency on not only creating content, but consistent on the story you're telling, right? Mm -hmm. I think for so many, and, and this is something I think is probably really hard is that you have a small following and you're not sure how many people are watching it. And then you start kind of changing and trying all of these things and you just end up confusing everybody on who you are, right? I always tell people, you know, Google your name, just your name, and go through that first page of Google results, and is every one of those links that you click on, is it telling the same story? Because if not, how could anybody looking to hire you understand who you are if the first page of Google results doesn't know who you are and that consistency is really what builds that over time and I mean it's it's amazing because it, it I won't say you know I preach consistency but it's hard to be consistent it's as a podcaster you know I, I've had a podcast for two years I just launched my own solo podcast and you no know, I think the stat is most podcasts don't make it past their seventh episode because Consistency is that key and it's really hard to week after week after week continuing to create that content. But if you're willing to do that and be consistent, the the end results are you will be discovered on that day, that week, that month that someone's looking to hire a speaker.
0: Yeah. Very cool, man. Hey, let's wrap up with this. This is something I didn't prep you on, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I always like to ask speakers a good amount of speaking of, tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this. All right. So some speaking event or speaking gig that just was a disaster, either you were off or the audience was off or something weird happened in the, uh, at the event or the client was just a, a huge nightmare to work with. So, uh, you got anything that comes to mind? Tell us about a time where it couldn't be worse than this.
1: Sure, yeah. I couldn't be worse than this. I would say for me, I was speaking at a tech event and I was extremely excited about speaking at this at a tech event. And it was a, a large event. I had presented I had prepared, you know, my presentation. And unfortunately, based on the kind of like a shift of the schedule, you know, it, they pushed me to a bigger stage, but counter of someone that was not only someone that I looked up to, but there was someone that was a much bigger name, but also someone that I was quoting in my presentation. And um, I had multiple slides about this person being someone that I looked up to and someone that I I thought it had so much value and was leading the way. And there's nothing like getting on that stage, and you—I could hear the the laughter and the, the applause of this person next to me. And I have to convey to my audience that sitting, they chose not to sit in their his event, and then they sit there and listen to me. And I almost gave them like the hey, if you were smart, you would have sat there in their presenta- in his presentation over mine. And, and it was one of those things that at the end, people were coming up to me saying like. If they would have heard me before, they probably would have went to his event, but they would have never thought of that thought process unless they saw me first. But I can tell you, I got off that stage and was like, I feel like I was just a promo for the person that was competing with me. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a pretty tough situation, but uh, I, I learned a lot. I think I quote other people that are speakers at the same events a little bit less right. than I did back then, just in case that ever happens again.
0: That's funny, man. Very cool. All right, man. Well, hey, we appreciate you sharing some of your wisdom and uh, knowledge with us and the journey along the way here. Hey, people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go?
1: So consistency, of course, is important. So I'm best known by my Twitter handle, which is isocialfans, F-A-N-Z at the end. So isocialfans, it's isocialfans.com. And then every single social channel, isocialfans is is my uh, handle. And then my new podcast is called FOMO Fans, F-A-N-Z. So FOMO as in the fear of missing out. And uh, you can check out that podcast. It's a weekly podcast that I'm doing. But yeah, I social fans everywhere and anywhere and uh, happy to engage and uh, answer questions and uh, continue sharing as, as we kind of all learn along the way.
0: Cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much, man, for taking the time. And we appreciate it. And I uh, appreciate you sharing uh, some of what you've learned and uh, what we need to be paying attention to, especially when it comes to social and uh, live video.
1: Thanks, Grant, for having me on. Cheers.
0: All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brian Fanzo. Definitely check out what he is up to. We include uh, links, everything we discussed at the show notes. You can find that over at thespeakerlab.com. Hey, also, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you definitely want to stop by thespeakerlab.com slash guide. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash guide to pick up that new free resource on seven proven steps to finding and booking paid speaking engagements. So uh, definitely want to check that out. Again, that's over at thespeakerlab.com slash guide. All right. That wraps up episode 116. We'll catch you next time, my friend. You're awesome.